Welcome to episode 207 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast this week, we're going to take a look at cybersecurity in the wake of the WannaCry ransomware attack that affected hundreds of thousands of computers in 150 countries on this Friday and over the weekend. So for for those who might need a little uh, primer on uh, ransomware, which is the particular brand of malware which uh, Wanna, WannaCry uh, represents. So ransomware essentially uh, it's transmitted, uh, in this case, via email, and uh, when someone clicks on it, it encrypts the files on your computer and, and locks you out uh, from being able to access those files uh, and then threatens to destroy your data um, if you don't pay a ransom. And usually that ransom is administered via Bitcoin uh, so that the uh, uh, that hacker can uh, continue to uh, sort of build their business that way. So over the weekend, this, uh, uh, this ransomware attack spread uh, throughout Europe and uh, also into Asia. And I think it was uh, uh, particularly interesting because it, uh, you know, spread across multiple continents, uh, seemingly uh, rapidly compared to some of these attacks that we've, we've seen in the past. Um, so, so for me, this really... Uh, puts a point on the the fact that our physical worlds and our cyber worlds are inexorably intertwined in in uh, many important ways now, uh, many sort of frightening inter- interdependencies. Uh, one of those is represented by uh, the fact that we have electronic health records, and uh, of course in in Britain. Uh, their hospital systems were affected by this ransomware attack, and folks had to have surgeries rescheduled, uh, medical appointments, et cetera, et cetera, uh, were unable to be uh, um, uh, completed because uh, they didn't have access to the uh, electronic health records. So just on its face, Dirk, uh, you know, what are, what are your impressions uh, of this uh, latest cybersecurity uh, problem represented by the WannaCry ransomware. Yeah, the, the part of the story that I found most remarkable is the fact that it's, it's, um, it is software that was likely created by the U.S. government. So uh, it's not some random hacker cooked this up and threw it out there. It's that the U.S. government created this as a weapon and it was leaked or stolen or otherwise uh, misappropriated and now used to extract ransoms from um, ordinary citizens, you know, um, organizations that are uh, generally benevolent um, among a broad broad variety of other actors. So uh, to me, that's the most fascinating part because we know that the U.S. government, like the governments of other countries, are, you know, engaged in cyber warfare uh, and part of that is creating weapons, cyber weapons, and um, deploying them in ways that we are and aren't aware of, uh, given the nature of um, espionage and cyber war in general. So it's it's interesting, you know, it's sort of 
kind of caught with our, our pants down, similar to Russia being caught with their pants down in terms of their undermining the United States election in, in 2016. Um, so it's one of those things you kind of know it's out there, you take for granted it's out there, but once it's exposed, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. You know, it makes you, it makes you sort of wonder and question uh, you know, what, what the hell it is we're all doing. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Dirk. And and I, I wanted to pick up on on sort of two aspects of that. Um, one is uh, that when you're talking about cyber warfare, um, the battleground is diffuse and and sort of embedded into uh, you know sort of civilian life, right? So when you're talking about more uh, traditional warfare or or uh, physical warfare. Uh, there are certain rules in place, or at least uh, there are international norms that uh, that dictate sort of who the combatants are and and you know what is a worthy target for um, for warfare. Now, not all of those rules and conventions are necessarily applied all the time, and there's certainly plenty of examples of. Um, you know what we'll sort of broadly call terrorism, where civilian targets are. Um, very specifically uh, gone after. But uh, generally speaking, when we consider conventional warfare, we're, we're, uh, we think of soldiers, we think of uh, tanks, planes, uh, we, we think of uh, large-scale assaults perhaps, or, or maybe um, uh, um, Green Berets or, or what have you. But conventional warfare has its, its rule sets, which are completely upended when you're talking about uh, cyber um, for a couple of different reasons. One is that the whole point with cyber uh, war is that you can um, disrupt an, uh, an, an enemy's uh, general operations, whether it be uh, something to do with their, their power or their uh, information technology or their communications or, or what have you. Um, additionally, it's uh, disproportionately uh, sort of has has tremendous leverage, right? So, so a, a small actor can have an outsized effect on, um, um, you know, uh, his his or her enemy. And then, thirdly, um, the the way in which these uh, attacks propagate is unpredictable. So there are, there are certain types of weapons that have unpredictable. Um, outcomes, but for the most part, we know when you drop a bomb somewhere, it's going to explode and just affect that area. With 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 a cyber um, attack of of this uh, this type, you just don't know what the end game is going to be. You don't know what's going to happen with this ransomware. It could be affecting uh, you know a hospital system. Uh, in the UK, and then all of a sudden there's a telecom in Spain that's having problems or uh, a university somewhere else. It's, it's, it's much more, at least for the time being, uh, you know, harder to control, I think. So some of that is just the nature of cyber itself, the way these things spread. And then uh, some of that, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, is we don't, the rules and norms of this uh, type of warfare have not yet uh, been established. Rules and norms in warfare is is a, a sort of a fallacy, right? I mean, over the course of history of war, 
yeah, there are times, at, at, at different times, there are different rules and norms around warfare. But the fact of the matter is, when, when, when one side starts to lose, they kind of throw those norms out the window and, and uh, employ whatever means are necessary to win. The, the notion of an entire state using, um, using methods of war that are targeted at civilians is a fairly modern construct. Um, you know, with total war in World War II. It happened in isolated cases in history. But um, since World War II, um, you know, largely because of technology, frankly, uh, the, the, the limits have kind of been ripped off. Sure, we have Geneva Convention, we have different rules, but if, if you look in different uh, cultures from, uh, you know, the, the Serbian uh, state, you know, the former Yugoslavia, um, the horrible genocide that was, was going on there 25 years ago, things that are happening in the Middle East now, um, in Africa, in, in a number of places, uh, those rules are totally thrown out the window. I mean, genocide is being perpetrated, mass rapes, and uh, horrible treatment of, of the civilian population. So, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think rules and norms of, of warfare have always been a little, a little on the mythical side. It's all well and good as long as we both think we have a chance to win. And then once one side thinks they're going down, kind of everything, everything's out, out the window. Um, but, you know, I mean, look, it's, it's a modern reality, you know, over the last, uh, I mean, what's the time frame now? So World War II, 75 years, um, you know, total war is kind of uh, the way things go. Civilian populations are getting sucked in. Technology is a big, big part of that. And this is a new flavor of technology, a new flavor of war. I mean, thank goodness that the consequence so far isn't, a whole generation of lads sent off to a trench um, to be destroyed physically or or mentally. The the cost of cyber war specifically on all of us as individuals pales in comparison to the sacrifices of life and sanity that were made in, in more conventional war. So um, the problem is war. I mean, let's frickin' move past it, people. I mean, humanity has evolved to a point where war is ridiculous. I mean... Um, we should be able to move beyond nationalism. We should be able to move, you know, we, we have plenty, we have abundance, um, yet we still have people starving. Like, we, we figure these things out from a social perspective, um, war isn't necessary. Um, war being necessary is a, a remnant of, you know, our barbarism, of our immaturity um, that we haven't been able to shake off yet. But, I mean, that's the problem, is war. I mean, if... If there is something happening where I'm trying to gain supremacy over you and that life and liberty are at stake in the context of that power struggle, it's going to be an ugly and horrible thing in one flavor or another. We need to not have that happening, um, which may perhaps sound Pollyanna-ish, but we are more than capable of it in our current um, current stage of, of evolution. It certainly is a radical revolutionary departure, not evolutionary from how we're socially operating today, but that's where the, the problem is. Until we solve it at that level, I mean, we should expect cyber war, other war, genocide, all these horrible freaking things uh, happening on this planet. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this, this uh, ties in well to the sort of the second part of, of, uh, this subject that I, I wanted to touch on more, which is really what what is the responsibility of our government in in uh, 
um, sort of the cybersecurity and 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 cyber war um, areas, because as you pointed out earlier, um, the NSA you know made this uh, particular vulnerability um, or or they didn't make it available, but but it was it was from their uh, research that was then uh, exposed by uh, by a hacker group. Uh, so there is there is a uh, an interesting problem there because uh, in, in a lot of ways the uh, the vulnerability um, was was being sort of stockpiled right by uh, by the NSA was was being uh, uh, kept hidden for the purposes of uh, you know using it as an exploit at 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 a later date by our own our own government and in this particular case the genie got out of the bottle and uh it was be is now being used by another uh uh group you know for malicious activity but ultimately what you know what are the uh responsibilities of government to ensure that the cyber realm you know remains uh safe for uh, call it civilian actors. I don't know what your thoughts are on on that piece. Yeah, I mean, you know, there the government is responsible to protect the civilians. I mean, what that means, how that translates to cyber warfare, I'm not, I'm not qualified to say. I mean, we're we're dealing with things that we obviously don't have control over, but we're forced to deal with them because our opponents are are mirrors on the world stage. The Russia's, the China's, they most certainly are. So we have no question but to, or no, um, you know, we must participate in that game. We must participate in that battle. And in so doing, you know, we're dealing with combustible, dangerous things. I think they're a lot less dangerous than our nuclear arsenals, but it's yet another really um, toxic, unpredictable um, thing that we, we have here that could have unintended consequences that, that you and I aren't even uh, qualified to speculate about. So we'll leave it there for, for today, but I, I can only imagine we've, we've been uh, uh, seeing these, these types of attacks only uh, sort of increase over time. And uh, I'm, I'm sure once again, we'll be, uh, we'll be discussing another uh, one of these uh, fairly soon, I'm sure. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 207 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.